Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode nine of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff. So glad that we can hang out again today, and um, I'm really glad you're here. I hope that this episode helps you lead like never before. And it's a great episode to jump in on. I am so excited about today's guest. Uh, A lot of you probably know him already. His name is John Acuff. And John is a super fun guy to hang around. Uh, I've gotten to know John over the last year, and uh, we actually did this podcast uh, a month or so ago uh, when we were on the road in California on the Orange Tour. Just wrapped up my portion of the Orange Tour. And um, this fall... We saw over 10,000 leaders across 12 cities, and I wasn't able to make it to every city because I kind of have a day job that I've got to look after leading a church full time. But in the seven cities I got to, man, what an incredible tour. And uh, John and I got to sit down um, backstage, actually at the hotel, and just have a conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's all about work and why we love it and why we hate it and narcissism and insecurity. And I mean... John's just super, super transparent. So, I mean, it's just a great leadership conversation. And that's one of the reasons I love being able to do this podcast is um, I get to have a lot of these conversations. And sometimes, you know, when you have them, it's kind of like, oh, I wish everyone could hear this. Well, what's really cool is now everybody can hear this. Or, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I wish my team could hear this. And so this is just so much fun to be able to do this. And and I really do hope it helps you lead and maybe your team lead like never before. Um, Speaking of the Orange Tour, thanks so much, everybody who came out on that. And um, we are running a contest on the blog and the contest is still active. In fact, this week, I'm going to be giving away a copy of my book, Leading Change Without Losing It, and a copy of John's book, Stuff Christian's like. Okay. They're both signed. And uh, to enter, what you need to do is just hop on over to the show notes, carrynewhoff.com slash episode nine. And um, we will get you entered when you simply leave a comment. There'll be a question. I'm going to ask it at the end of this episode. So listen to the end. I'll tell you the question to respond to. Now, the the question's a real one. So uh, number one, it's going to be your entry ballot. But number two, we can all learn together, which is awesome. People have been leaving fantastic comments on previous episodes. So uh, next Monday, I'm going to draw one um, ballot, uh, I guess one comment, and um, one person will win. And then your ballot this week enters you also for the grand prize draw. And the grand prize draw is free admission to the Orange Conference 2015. That's next April. Top leaders from around the world. Donna Millard's going to be there. Uh, Andy Stanley's going to be there. Reggie Joyner. John's there. I'm there. And you know what's super cool? If you win the grand prize, you are the only ticket at Orange that gets you coffee backstage with John and I. So if you're going to enjoy this podcast, it's just going to be like being at the podcast, except you're in the room and you're asking the questions and having the conversation. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Again, all you need to do is leave a comment in the show notes this week, um, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode nine, and that is your ballot. You can win a book. There's a weekly prize. Grand prize in a couple of weeks is uh, admission to the Orange Conference and coffee with John and me. And speaking of John... John is a New York Times bestselling author of four books, including his most recent, Start, uh, I love his subtitles, Punch Fear in the Face, Escape Average, and Do Work That Matters. 
That's such a cool title. He's got a brand new book coming out next year called Do Over, which is going to be a must read. And uh, he's just finishing that up right now, actually. And they're going to get it off to the publisher. So look for that. For 15 years, he's worked for top companies like the Home Depot, Bose, Staples, the Dave Ramsey team, and more. And um, he's also been featured on prominent media like CNN, Fox News, Good Day LA, and other outlets like that. And John is a real social media kind of expert. He's got over a quarter million Twitter followers. He His blogs have been read by four million people, and he blogs at places like stuffchristianslike.net and uh, more recently at acuff.me. So um, you're going to enjoy this. Now, John's a really funny guy. I mean, sometimes when I'm around him, I talk about this in the interview. It's kind of like, oh, I wish I was as funny as John. Um, but he has a pretty like button-down, serious leadership conversation with us. It's so real, so authentic, and I think you'll find it helpful. So without further ado, here's John. Well, it's fun to be hanging out with John Acuff today on the Orange Tour. Here we are in California. Yeah, how about it? Yeah, we actually, instead of Skyping or like doing a Google Hangout, we actually just get to hang out in a hotel room and record this. Like two humans. <laughs> like two face humans. Face to face. Very old-fashioned. Right. Hey, John, it's great to have you on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Carrie. I'm excited about it. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit. You talk an awful lot about work. Why? Are, what got you interested in that whole subject? I know a, a lot of listeners have probably heard your story, but give us a bit of backstory. Yeah, I spent um, over a decade in corporate jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, just didn't feel very satisfied with that and felt pretty frustrated and quit a lot of jobs, felt like that was the solution. I'll just jump to the next one and was what I'd call a serial quitter. Um, mm-hmm. Would have six months at a job, get bored, get bitter, blame other people, jump to the next one thinking that would be the solution. And finally I had to realize the common denominator in every bad job I ever had was me. So <laughs> what was what was I going to do about that? So I really started to explore the concept of work what it meant to have purpose at work. Um, and that's where I started to write about it. From I'd say first from a place of survival and curiosity. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to work for 40 years. I don't think those should be bad, miserable years. Right. And we, you know, it frustrates me that we have a TGI, TGI Fridays, not a TGI Mondays. And we as a culture have accepted that work should be miserable. And I don't, I don't think that's true. And so I started to explore that. And I had the chance to write a couple books about that subject, um, Quitter and Start. And I've got a new one called Do Over that explores that that very idea of how do you have a meaningful career. Yeah, and clearly the books have resonated. I mean, New York Times bestseller list, uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller list. I mean, you've, you've really hit a nerve that I think impacts a lot of people. I want to go back to what you said a few minutes ago, because I've talked to a lot of people who hate their job. And I mean, you can, you can look at the satisfaction studies and like 70% of all the workforce, I think a study came out this year, is not engaged yep. at work. They're just punching the clock, putting in time until quitting time or the weekend. How did you come to the realization, because that is pretty important what you said, that, hey, you know what, the only common denominator in all of this is like me. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like, you know, as a pastor and a leader, sometimes I feel like I want to tell people, hey, you are the common denominator in your life. How did, how did you kind of wake up um, to that reality? I think over time and painfully, um, it's, not, it's not fun to be self-aware when the stuff you're aware of is, is mistakes and, and limitations and, yeah. and gaps in your personality. I mean, it's much easier to blame people. Um, mm-hmm. Blame is a, is a, is a shortcut. Um, yeah. And so for me... It's been a series of that. I mean, I've just, for the last year, I've worked on my own and realized, wow, I blamed bosses a lot for holding me back when 
Wow. They worked. I was, hmm. you know, the, and so I think it's just been a process, um, a process of seeing that, of realizing, I think when it comes to work, you control a lot more than you think, and you don't control a lot more than you think. And so it's about figuring out where that tension is. Why do you think so many people struggle with their day job? Like what makes it so tough? And that's people in ministry too. We, we can be, I mean, for the ministry leaders listening, we can be some of the worst people. We complain about our church or we complain about our staff or, you know, whatever. I mean, I think it's kind of a universal human condition. Why is it so hard for so many people? Well, I, I think it, it starts with you end up doing something you were never supposed to do in the first place. Hmm. Um, and it's maybe it was easier at the time. Your mom thought you should be a lawyer, so you became a lawyer. And you yeah. never wanted to be a lawyer. But all of a sudden, there's this momentum where you don't want to disappoint people. So you go deeper and deeper and deeper into this thing until you're 42 and realize, I have $180,000 in debt, and I can't be anything but a lawyer. It's all I know right. how to do. Right. And I wanted to do something else. But I, I lied about that in small ways that got mm -hmm. bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until all of a sudden, I stacked a lot of years up. And it's hard for me to admit that. So I think sometimes it's you, you did the wrong thing from the get-go. Um, I think sometimes it's unresolved issues about other things. Right. Um, the fear of looking at it and admitting, okay, wow, this I really want to do this thing. I have a deep um, God-given desire to do something, and that's terrifying. You know, what if <laughs> yeah. I what if I try and it doesn't work? You know, there's a lot of people that use apathy um, as medicine, where if I pretend not to care, if I don't chase after something, I'll never have to know the sting of the hurt. And in doing mm -hmm. that, we we eliminate hope. Um, you don't get to have hope without hurt. Um, and so I think, I think part of it's that. And then I just think we, we get distracted too. It's mm -hmm. easy to get distracted right now with all the, there's so many ways to kind of medicate yourself from experiencing that sadness, which I think can be a good thing. I don't think sadness is a bad thing. I had a counselor say, he, a counselor friend of mine went to another counselor, um, as counselors should. <laughs> yeah. And he, the counselor said, how are you feeling? And he said, oh, just negative emotions, horrible emotions right now. And he said, well, what are, what are you feeling? He said, well, frustration, sadness, anger. And this counselor told my friend, those aren't negative emotions. Those are emotions. Hmm. You were taught that only happiness is the only emotion that counts and everything else is failure. And so he said, no, sadness and loneliness, those are emotions we're called to experience and deal with and share and community. And so I think a lot of times we get we don't want to deal with those. And so we go, well, work should be miserable. I'll just yeah. be miserable. Or it's generational. We, we had a dad and a grandfather who told us, you know, you work for the man and it's horrible and <laughs> that's just what you do. And on the weekend, you get to live a tiny bit. Yeah, have a good life, son. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Enjoy the, enjoy the next 40 years. Wow. Now, that's interesting because, okay, so you were in corporate. You talk a lot about your day job and your dream job, but it's like some people are just waiting for the right thing to be delivered to them, right? It's like, okay, well, my next job will be better, or uh, maybe one day I'll wake up and everything will be fantastic. But you talk about um, building your dream job on the side while doing your day job. Like, don't quit your day job, get working. How did that work out for you? Take us back into that story a little bit. Yeah, so it, I was working at um, Auto Trader, which was a, which was a great company. Um, I certainly don't want to denigrate that company. They were mm -hmm. they were kind. Help me get a couple of vehicles. Yeah, they yeah. were kind. They they know what they're doing. That my, I had a great boss. Um, but I knew I was supposed to be doing something else. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had to pay the cost of that, which was getting up early and writing before work. 
um, blogging and working on all these things on the side of my life, doing freelance writing. I used to write um, jingles for laser hair removal commercials, you know, and anything. I didn't know there was such a thing. There are, and and I had that job. Um, Uh And so I just really started to do things on the side, kind of the side hustle in the margin of my life. And, and build it bit by bit. And I still believe that's a, that's a great way to start something because the problem is we think it's all or nothing. Um, right. And that I'm going to go from never acting to being a full-time actor tomorrow. And I think that part of the myth, somebody challenged me about this yesterday and they said, um, I said, if you're going to work tomorrow and you're stressed, like read this post or something. And somebody yeah. said, well, if you love your job, you should never feel stressed. And I thought that's not even a little oh, true. Oh gosh, no. Um, and I love my job and I'm always stressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there's, and that's part of caring about it. You yeah. like when you, when you have heart invested, there's, there's stress involved and oh, that's yeah. not, it's not a bad thing. That's a natural thing. And so I think that doing it on the side teaches you some of those lessons in the safety of having, you know, your bills paid for by something else. And mm-hmm. so I think that can be a great thing. Now, the tension there to me is that there are times when you have to just go for it. Yeah. And that when I, as, a younger, as a younger writer, I didn't understand that. And that what challenged me on that is I met a farmer. Um, he wanted to be a, um, a cattle rancher. And he said, you know, I work a ranch during the summers and sometimes during vacation that's nine hours away from my house. He said, I can't casually build up a cattle ranch on, like, I can't get one steer and put them in my backyard of my apartment complex. Like, I can't slowly build that. Like, it's either, so there are some moments where it's kind of this, I have to take the risk and jump into it. Um, But. Well, and, and personally speaking, I mean, my wife and I met in law school, and, and you know this story, but she uh, was a pharmacist before that. I mean, great problem of having a lot to do with your life, but she struggled with that for a long time. And so for a couple a couple years ago, when um, our kids were just at the age where they were sort of getting launched into life, she bit the bullet and left pharmacy and went back into law, you know, mid-career toward the latter part of her career and jumped in. I mean, that is, that's a major financial investment. Yeah. That's scary. You don't know whether you're going to have clients. Sure. It's, it's tough. Well, and you're, you know, she was at a proficiency of pharmacy. And it's really easy when you start something new to want to compare the new thing to the old thing. Yeah. And so it would have been easy for her to go, how come I don't have the same level of success as a lawyer right now that I did as a pharmacist? No, that's exactly true. And you reach a peak of your game. I mean, she was well-respected in her field. Sure. She was sought after in her field. And yet she knew that was, there was something yeah. more. And so, yeah, I totally relate to that. How did you know what your dream job was? Was that a process of elimination? Or like from the time you were a kid, it's like, I want to be a writer and a speaker. And I knew in third grade I wanted to be a writer. Um, hmm. Uh, a teacher of mine, Mrs. Harris, at Doyon Elementary School in Ipswich, Massachusetts, laminated a bunch of poems I wrote um, and strung them together with ribbon. And it wasn't that the whole class was doing it. She just did it because I had a passion for that. And it really made me feel like a writer. And so I think I, I had that spark then, but that I didn't like go into this writing journey after that. I mean, it came in, you know, fits and spurts. And so... I think that part of it for me is it evolves over time. I wouldn't, yeah. you know, I couldn't have said in third grade I want to write blogs because the medium didn't exist. Right. I want to be on Instagram. Yeah, I want to be on Instagram, <laughs> you know. And so I think that sharing ideas is is my passion, and that takes a lot of different forms. And so I'd even say right now I'm, I'm trying to figure out what that looks like. Yeah. For me, I'm just not wired to have... 
like one thing that is the forever plan that, you know, that's what I often long for. And it's just not who I am. And I don't, I don't even know if it's how God works, where he goes at 14, at 22, this is the next 50 years of your life. I think some people get that. Mm-hmm. The, the reality is, though, that I often want that when I'm that's not what I'm supposed to be asking for. And it's and, it, and it's the rare it's the rarity. And we think everybody has it. We look at somebody who's doing something. We go, they have a 50 year plan that they're just walking through like and they know exactly where it's headed. I don't know where it's headed. And I think when you sit down and talk to those people at year 40 or year 50, they didn't really have a plan. Like they, they you, you just sort of, I think in, in some ways as you get older and, and have more experience as a leader, you kind of understand what you're good at, what you're not good at. Yeah. When I was 25, I thought it was, I was great at everything. Yeah. I was so wrong. I was just so wrong. I'm like good at three things. That's it. I would still say that. I mean, at 38, I'm learning that and yeah. going, okay, so I don't need to do more of that. Um, right. That, that wasn't good. Um, and I think too, the, I wrote about this the other day on my blog that I'm learning life is more like jazz and less like classical sheet music where you don't get these long programs that you follow step by step. You get skills and then you improvise in situations. Hmm. And so it's much more free form than I, than I might want. Or, you know, I think sometimes when we try to control life, we get into a place where we go, there's a way to do it that will perfectly prevent any stress or any, you know, yeah any, any worry. And you go, no, you, you know, it's going to be up and down. That's, that's part of life. And, and you get to kind of roll with it and soar with it depending on the moment. So do you think everybody has a dream job? Like, does everybody have this or are some people just going to work at something during the day so they can do something at night that they may not get paid for? I think everybody has a gift they're supposed to express. Hmm. Um, I think it comes in a lot of different shapes. I think that, um, I've, I've kind of come from, um, where, where I feel now about work is that um, that the expression of that gift comes in a thousand different ways. I don't like the narrow definition of a dream job, which means you have to quit and be an entrepreneur. You're exactly right, right that 70% of people are disengaged, but 100% of those people are meant to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, that's, that's just the fact. And so you know, I met a, a great accountant the other day in Minneapolis, and, she, and we talked about this, and she said, you know, I love my job. I work at a big corporation. I just want to be the best accountant I can be. And I don't ever want that person to feel shame because her dream has a different shape or size than mine. Right. Um, and I think there's always going to be, and I think there's a nobility in going, raising a family and being able to provide and, and live out of that gift, is a, that's a great dream. You know, I don't ever want to say to her mom or a dad, you have to go wreck your, like blow up your life mm-hmm. every three years to chase some new dream um, in order to matter. I mean, so, so I look at it and go, I think there's going to be a lot, I think there's a lot of people that the shape of their dream won't match the same shape of mine, and it doesn't mean that theirs is better than mine or vice versa. But I do believe everybody has a gift they're called to use. Yeah, that's true. And, and if, it, if you happen to get paid for it full time, or you can, you can find a channel in your day job that really expresses what you want to do best or you're most gifted at, there's, that's amazing. And it doesn't have to be 100%. That's the other thing. I mean, that's that the guy who said to me that, you know, you have no stress in a job you love that creates a culture that believes the second they have stress, they're in the wrong thing. (laughs) <laughs> or the second it's hard, this must not be the dream. That's a great marriage philosophy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The second this is hard, get out. It's all fireworks. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just natural. You know, it'll just flow. And so, no, I, I look at it and, and think, I think everybody has a gift they're called to use. I think that changes over your life. I think that's, 
you know, I want to do things I didn't, I didn't want to do 10 years ago. And in 10 years from now, I, I hope that I'm doing things I didn't think I'd do at 38. Um, so it changes. And I think it's being present to God to go, okay, you know, I run in your commands. What, what are you commanding me to do? Right. And that's a good way to look at it. And another way of thinking about it is what's my calling on life, right? Like, like what is God, what does he want me to do? How do you discover that? Like that, that's the question pastors get asked all the time. It's like, okay, how do I know what God wants me to do? What is God's will for my life? It's like, yeah. you know, you should go to another church. That's what yeah, you yeah, do. They yeah. might be able to answer it there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think you give yourself grace and freedom to, to explore it. Um, I was thinking about this this morning that I often want God to give me a list of things to do, like a menu, mm-hmm. and he won't do that. And he won't do it, I believe, um, because he's smart enough to know that if he gave me 10 things to do, when things got hard, I would go to the list, not him. I would go oh. worship the list, and I would ask the list, for, and I would go, well, here's the list. And he, he wants me to have relationship, not this, these 10 steps that are exact. Um, and so, I, and a friend of mine always challenged me on that. He said, you know, God is a lamp unto our path, not a lamp unto our mile. And mm. so I think sometimes with calling, we go, God, I'm ready for the, the 10 mile. And I think he goes, nope. Like I'll give, you know, my, my mercies are new every morning, not yeah. every year. And so let's talk about today. And I think that, you know, that's part of it. I think the other thing is discovering it in community. Um, right. I think we're the worst judge of the things we're good at. Um, you know, I've said before, the talent we have the hardest time recognizing is our own. Mm-hmm. And so I think you need relationships that will hold up a mirror and go, hey, you, you really come alive when you do these three things. And often you go, those, everybody can do those. Like the thing you're good at, you think everybody can do because yeah. it's natural to you. You grew up doing it. Absolutely. And so you disrespect it. You don't see that it's a gift. And so I think community is a big part of figuring out the conversation of calling versus, you know, trying to do it on your own. Um, and again, I'm still in that, that place right now um, yeah. where I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. You're, you're in a whole new phase. Yeah. And so I think relationships, a huge part of it. Community is a sure. huge part of it. Um, and vulnerability, you know, and recognizing your limits. That's a big thing for me right now. I love that idea of God, not revealing it to you all at once, but having to trust him every day. I don't think I've quite heard that response to it. That's, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And I, I believe me, I wish it was the other way around. Oh yeah. Like I, you know, every, you know, there's days every morning I get up and I'm like, God, just tell me the, and I think he instead says, come be present with me. And, and, and that's not to chew. I'm, I'm learning that I'm not great at being active. Like mm-hmm. I've been kind of passive in some of the things I've done in life, like waited for them to come to me. And so trusting God and going, okay, God, I'm going to be active. What does active look like? So I think you can be active in it. I just think sometimes we put this pressure on ourselves to demand that God gives us this three-year plan. And um, I just don't know that he always works that way. Now, fear is a big component. I mean, that you, you talk an awful lot about fear because I think a lot of people have this false idea. Well, I'm going to experiment on the side. I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to write something. I'm going to try to speak somewhere. I'm going to invent something. I'm going to manufacture something. I'm going to do whatever. And it's just going to go great. Yeah. And I'm going to get paid a lot of money very quickly for what I do. Sure. It's just not true. <laughs> so how did that go for you? And what role did fear, disappointment, and like dead ends play in your journey? Yeah, well, I think it's still playing a role. Um, Jenny and I were talking about that probably 15 minutes ago, about some of the things that came easily Mm -hmm. um, that I really, that were beyond my talent, that were beyond the effort I put in, that that just came easily. And now learning to go, okay, my expectations can't be always the same size of this thing that came easily. 
Right. You know, 4,000 people showed up on day nine of stuff Christians like. Yeah. So I can't, I mean, is that, and she said, Jim, my wife said to me the other day, you never got over the success of stuff Christians like. Hmm. You, every new thing you expect to be that size and expect to be that fast. So I think that fear and expectations are, are often related um, and being mm-hmm. honest about those. And so for me, yeah, the fear of missing out, um, right. of saying yes to too many things, um, the fear of who am I to do this, mm-hmm. um, the fear of uh, it's too late, you know, yeah. it's always too late. You know, fear's time frame is it's always too late. Um, it's so funny because you and I, we've, we've been talking on the Orange Tour a little bit about getting older. You're 38, I'm sure. 49, so I've got a big birthday coming up. You've yeah. got one at some point. And, and yet, you know, a lot of people would look in, if we were having this conversation with someone else, they're like, no, you got the world ahead of you. You know, God's got decades ahead of you, but we always feel like, or I always feel like, you know, are my better days behind me? Are they ahead of oh, me? Yeah. Well, that's a fear that happens too, isn't it? Yeah, there's a, I think it's Brett Denon, this songwriter, and he says, I, I don't want to be someone who can't live up to what he's already done. Um, hmm. and, and so for me, yeah, it's, it's talking with God about that and being yeah. honest about it and, you know, leaning, leaning into that. That's, for me, the, the new book talks a lot about that kind of idea of, it's, it's based off this concept of we spend 18 years getting ready for college and then we uh-huh. spend the next thing we get ready for is death and retirement. We've got this 40-year gap where we don't live with intentionality yeah. and we don't build careers. And, and Jenny and I really experienced that with my last job transition. So many people came up and were like, how will you survive? You should mm-hmm. be crushed. And, mm-hmm. and it was difficult and, and challenging, but we're, like, we, were, we were surprised at the reactions and realized we'd spent five years building what we call a career savings account. Hmm. Um, and it's built off of four things, character, relationship, skills, and hustle. And you yeah. need all four of them. And how do you invest in those so that regardless of if you want to stay at a job and be the best at that job or you want right. to jump or you're, you lost your job, how do you have this you know investment that will support whatever you want to do? Um, and so for us, like that's been, it's been interesting looking at those four things and then going, where do I need to invest more mm-hmm. and where, where did something come easily that I need to lean into or where's something that's deficient? How do I, you know, what does it really look like to hustle? Cause hustle's focus, not frenzy, but our culture says it's go, 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 go. Right. So it's, it's a journey. So stuff Christians like 4,000 people showed up, you yeah. know, it, within days. Uh, have you ever, have you had the experience yet where you've tried some stuff and you hit a dead end almost right off? Oh yeah. That or yeah. Give us some examples just cause I think um, that's a pretty normal experience or yeah. where, you know, you thought this is going to be number one and all of a sudden number 82. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, stuff Christians like traffic isn't what it used to be. Sure. Um, it's, you know, I can, like, I hate going to Google Analytics because <laughs> I only want to see the hate, the heyday, yeah. you know? And so, and part of it is when I was doing it, it was my only focus. I was, right. you know, it was all my creativity. And now I've got acuff.me, which is a separate blog. I'm mm-hmm. speaking, um, you know, at the time of Stuff Christians Like, I spoke maybe four times a year. Right. Like, I'll speak four times this week. Yes, um, you will. And so I, my creativity is stretched in different directions and focused in different places. So I'd say stuff Christians like, it's, that's a hard one if I go back and compare. Mm. Um, I would say my blog. I don't, you know, I'm trying to rethink what I want to do with my blog. Yeah. Um, 
And so, and I mean, even Twitter, like day-to-day stuff where I'll tweet something I think is funny and I won't get a single retweet. Like it'll go, oh, for 225,000. That's a big <laughs> swing and a miss. Um, and then, you know, um, like Facebook groups I've started right. um, that I thought, okay, this would, this will be this big thing or this will go a certain mm-hmm. way and it, it doesn't go a certain way. And, and, or meetups, you know, you think, yeah. okay, this is gonna, yeah. and what I'm learning is you have to remind people more than you think. It's not, right. you know, and a lot of it's narcissism for me. Um, sure. Just, you know, realizing the world doesn't revolve around me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's times when somebody will go, somebody the other day was like, so are you still writing? And like my, and like my narcissistic heart was like, you don't know I've got a book coming out on April seventh, and you don't, you know, you know how hard I've worked. Yeah, and but like they have their own life, like and their, you know, their life is not about watching my life. Um, I love it. I used to do a radio show years ago, and we canceled it five or six years ago, just north of Toronto. And people come up, you know, I listen to you every week and I don't have the courage to say, I don't think that's true. <laughs> this is don't. something I used to do, yeah, but you, I don't think you listen to me every week. You don't. Um, uh-huh. And so, that, I mean, I think that was, there's been a lot of those. And yeah, I'm trying to, you know, I've got a new book coming out. And, you do. And I'm getting excited about that launch and there's fear involved in that. And You just announced the title, like when we recorded this. So tell us about the new book and sort of new directions for you. Yeah, um, I mentioned the career savings account, which is kind of the heart of it. But the, the book's called Do Over. And the subtitle is Rescue Monday, Reinvent um, Your Work, Never Get Stuck. And cool. it's this idea that... Um, sometimes we get stuck and what do you do if you're stuck and how do you rescue Monday? You know, how do you redeem Monday? Cause that's, you know, Americans, um, their most depressing hour of the week is Sunday at noon, um, wow. because they can feel Monday coming. Yeah. And so the book is about how do we enjoy the work we do? How do we invest in the work we do? And how do we do those four things, you know, character, skills, relationships, and hustle? Um, because if you have three of them, say you have character, or say you have skills, relationship, and hustle, but no character, you become Tiger Woods, okay. you know, and yep. there's something missing. Or say you have, you know, skills, relationships, um, and character, but no hustle, you become every NFL draft bust that was amazing <laughs> in high school and college, but eventually the talent level caught up and they mm-hmm. weren't willing to work hard enough. Yep. And so what's that balance look like? How do you, you know, I- explore that? So that's, so that's what do-over is all about. That's cool. Now you talk a lot about hustle. Um, Mm -hmm. You've written about it in the past. You talk about it all the time. You're going to write about it in your new book. And, and I mean, I've heard you say, hey, you got to get up at 5 a.m., like start early. Um, let's talk about hustle. What role does hustle play in sort of finding your, your calling, your vocation, your dream job? Well, I think that hustle um, pays, pays the cost. I look at hustle like fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've got, imagine you've got a really amazing car um, yeah. and it's this beautiful car and you don't put fuel in it, it's, it's just a, a chunk of metal and fiberglass that just sits mm-hmm. there. And so I look at hustle as, okay, it's the fuel that gets you from where you are today to where you want to go. Now the challenge is you need something like a skill to focus that hustle. Right. I look at hustle, I look at skill as the gas can. Hmm. Um, it's a place to put the fuel and it interacts with the car. Because a lot of times what people think of hustle is they spray the car with like the, the hose, you know, like the <laughs> gasoline gas. hose all over there. Like I'm just hustling, I'm just hustling. And then they light the car on fire and you wreck your relationships. Like that's what's interesting about the four investments is that they, they temper each other and Mm -hmm. they play off of each other. And so 
uncontrolled hustle ruins relationships. I mean, yes. you, hustle right now is a word people use to abuse people. And they go, I'm just mm. hustling. Right. You know, and there's a thin line between hustle and hassle. And so... <laughs> I think that's part of hustle. Hustle is, is an amazing, it's an amazing thing, but it can be a horrible thing if it's not applied in the right way with, you know, with character, with skills, with relationships, um, off on its own. It's, it's a, it's a toxic, toxic thing. Yeah. Because you can really burn a lot of bridges. You can alienate a lot of people. You can be unfocused, undisciplined, unscattered or just scattered rather. And, 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 you know, work all the time, but accomplish nothing. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's how I look at hustle, um, is you need to focus it. Um, and it needs, you know, you need to be brave in how you, and how you hustle and you need to be deliberate in what things you hustle on. Um, and for, and you have to recognize that it changes. Hustle has seasons. That's a big part of hustle is that not every season's created equally. And so, yeah, when I was working a day job, um, I would get up at 5 a.m. to write before I went to work. Well, Mm -hmm. my writing is now my job, so I don't get up at every morning at 5 a.m. because I don't have to. Yeah, you've got eight hours, nine hours a day. Yeah, my life's life's changed in that sense. Um, So, yeah, it has seasons where you sprint, and there's other seasons where where you rest. A friend of mine has a startup right now, and he's working probably 70 to 80-hour weeks. And he said it always bothers him when people come up and say, you're working too hard. And he said, if I was in medical school, they wouldn't go up to a doctor and say, you're really taking this med school thing way too seriously. And so the challenge there is that's that's a season. The season Mm -hmm. has to end, though. Like doctors eventually graduate. They eventually get to play golf. Yep. Um, but to his defense, yeah, he's in a season where he's in a, a sprint season and he's going to do things that he might not do in a different season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recognizing that and then recognizing that rest is part of hustle too. Um, yeah. in a culture that praises busyness, rest is an act of bravery, you know? <laughs> and so recognizing, you know, that, that hustle can be taking a nap and being willing to see value in that. Are you surprised at the amount of time people tend to waste yeah, in me included. Uh, mm-hmm. Me included. I think, I mean, that's Paul, like the things I want to do, I don't do. Um, I think for me, I have to, if I go to bed with my iPhone, like if I bring my yeah. iPhone to bed, I don't get restful sleep and end up like watching some Netflix show um, <laughs> that, that, and I watch multiple episodes, you know, right. and all of a sudden I'm tired for the next day. And so, yeah, I think that I'm surprised by the amount of time we waste and, and I'm just as guilty as anybody. Mm-hmm. Cause I think, I think that's a, a lot of people and there are seasons of life too, but I mean, you've done all this cause people often will say to me, how are you getting all this done? I'm like, well, you know, I have two grown kids now just yeah. the last month or so, but, um, you know, when they're in high school, you have a little more time than when they're in elementary school. But you've done all this and managed to keep a strong marriage and a great mm-hmm. relationship with your daughters while your kids were really very young. Yeah, and that was why I did the 5 a.m. I mean, that was a big part of it was Jenny was not going to be okay. My wife Jenny was not going to be okay with me saying on a Saturday, I really need to work on my dream and ignore you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, she was much more okay with me saying, hey, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and work from 5 to 7 before the family gets up so that I can be a present as a dad. Same with traveling. Like when I go home after this trip, I need to be present. I need mm-hmm. to, you know, be with them and, and be all there versus being gone on the road and then gone at home on my iPhone. 
Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. And and what that means at the end of the day is there's sacrifice involved, right? Yeah, a lot of sacrifice. So give us we've got just a couple minutes left, John. Give us um, an overview of some of the the highlights for you personally since you've made this transition, since you were able to pursue your dream job. What have been some of the best parts for you? Um, I, I think being on the Orange Tour is one of the best parts. Yeah, um, being around folks that are creative and and are doing great work and are doing it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's been one of the best parts, getting to work with Reggie and brainstorm stuff and spend time at the condo in Atlanta. And, and we have a lot of fun behind the scenes, too. Yeah, it's, it's a great so family. That's, that's a lot of fun. I love getting to speak. Um, mm-hmm. I love to make people laugh and think. I think those are my two favorite things. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Um, it was a blast getting to work with the Dave Ramsey team for three years. Yeah. Um, I had a, a great time there. and learned a ton and there's a there's a lot of people there that I that I love and had fun working with um I think it you know hitting the New York Times list was an was an awesome thing it was definitely a dream um seeing seeing your book on a bookshelf in a bookstore is is still pretty magical um and finding it and not knowing if it's going to be there and then you actually find one you think I'm on this bookshelf that's that's a great feeling and then Mm -hmm. the people you get to meet um I've really enjoyed meeting a lot of different people Um, and you hear the best stories and, you know, you get to interact with a lot of different lives that you never would have interacted with before. Right. Um, so I'd, I'd say that. And then, you know, with family wise, getting to set some of my own schedule, Mm -hmm. you know, and say, okay, we're going to go to Maine for a week or I, you know, I've met them on the, like I've walked in the school a lot this year and I meet them when the bus brings them back. And so getting to kind of go, I get to set my hours in that sense. Um, that's pretty fun. Yeah, that's that's really fun. One of the things, uh, just as, as we sort of uh, think about practical application, I mean, I follow you on social media, and everybody's got a different voice. And I mean, one of the thoughts I've had is, gosh, I wish I was as funny as John Acuff. Like, I mean, we're having a serious leadership conversation sure, sure. today. But, you know, I have like, a serious leadership shirt on. So Yeah, you do, yeah. you do. That, that Not really. Shirt yeah. It's like, like a neon, long-sleeve travel shirt. <laughs> But, but, you know, there's that, there's that sense that I'm always comparing myself against someone else. I want to communicate like Andy Stanley, be funny like, you know, John Acuff mm-hmm. and creative like Reggie Joyner. And yet at the end of the day, God's kind of given you a voice. Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of people, particularly in a social media age, sort of get caught up in not even being able to find their own voice or be comfortable with their own voice because of the proliferation of other voices? Oh, yeah, my, myself included. I think mm-hmm. um, I just wrote a post about uh, confessing I don't read blogs mm. and the reason I don't read blogs is that I compare their blog to my blog and it just makes me feel so inadequate and so <laughs> I just stopped reading blogs which isn't the solution um, no. the solution is to be honest about you know the inadequacy and also the 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 reality of the narcissism like for mm-hmm. me what I'm saying is that I can't read all blogs because of the commentary they offer on my life mm-hmm. wow like that is the definition of narcissism. It's like every blog is written about me. Yeah. They're they're not about me. Like that, you know, like Michael Hyatt's blog isn't well designed as an insult to me. You know, like <laughs> he didn't do this. I got John Acuff yeah, now. Yeah, holy yeah. cow. So yeah, I think for me that's that's a big part of it is comparing and recognizing when you're doing that and also you know, having some boundaries and going, okay, I don't get to a healthy place if I spend too much time spinning out on this idea. Yeah. Um, and if you're not, if you're not funny, if that's not what flows out of you, like that's okay. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you can't work harder 
you know, work hard to get better at a certain thing. Oh, yeah. Sure. And then the I've, a million writers have said this. The only way to find your voice is to write or the only way to find your voice is to speak. Yeah. Um, and, and it's it's going to be different. And um, and then so like I think a lot of people do struggle with that. And I think you end up but it's miserable because you end up playing a role and mm-hmm. it just empties you out. It does. And it's, I think at the heart of it, at least for me, and it's been a journey over, you know, 20 years of leadership, it's just security. It's an insecurity that says, I can't have smarter people around the table. I can't have really clever people around me because it makes me look bad. Yeah, well, it just ruins every, like, what a miserable way to go through life, right? It's because you could take my don't read blogs thing and apply it to anything. Don't read blogs. Don't sit with smarter people. Don't, you know. Don't listen to other preachers. Yeah, don't listen to other preachers. Don't listen to other podcasts. Don't. And all of a sudden, you're this isolated, miserable, narcissistic, you know, demigod who is like, ah. And so I think you just have to be upfront about that and have people in your life that will tell you when you're doing that, Mm -hmm. um, like spouses and friends and relationships. And so what I'm trying to do is be more honest about it online. And I guess why I wrote that post. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like sometimes the character I play when I feel, you know, I've written a book, so I should have it all figured out. Mm. Like, or I know I've written a book about career, so I should have a perfect career and I can't admit mistakes. Like, no, that's, I'm going to say that stuff because it's true. Well, I've cracked the code on leadership because that's what I write about. Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. a perfect no, leader. Not even yeah. close. Yeah. Not even close. But it's people People admire your strengths, but they resonate with your weaknesses, right? They really yeah. do. And when you go, oh, well, if John Acuff struggles with insecurity and Carrie does, then maybe I can. And well, the phrase, I don't know. Like when I hear yeah. a leader say, I don't know, I feel such a relief there yeah. because I think when you share your vulnerabilities, at least for me, I internally just breathe a sigh of relief and go, oh, it's okay to say that? Mm-hmm. Like we get to admit that and there's just so much freedom when somebody goes, yeah, I don't, I just messed that up. Yeah. Like I just did, or I don't know how to do that or this is new, you know, mm-hmm. and I need help. Right. Um, those things for me definitely, you know, connect me to a leader more than their lawn, laundry list of yeah. wins. How awesome I am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that, yeah, that script gets pretty thin. Pretty yeah. Fast. Yeah. So. So, John, if there's just to wrap up, if, if there's somebody listening right now, a leader who's in a day job uh, and hasn't even thought about, okay, I'm not happy, but I didn't know there were options, or maybe there's somebody who's trying, they started something, they're doing something on the side to try to get there one day. What's, what's one or two things? What's a great place to start for them? If there were one or two things they could do this week, what would you recommend? Well, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things. I actually have a resource that, that people can use and I haven't, I haven't mentioned this online before. Great. So maybe I'll look up the number. It's pretty, uh, good. And we'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Too, so all the links John talked got, about, we're yeah, link, link to in the show. Notes. I've got this thing called the, the grit decisions on how to make a decision involving grit. Great. Um, and grit is kind of being stubborn in the face of fear. Hmm. Um, and so if you text the word grit, G-R-I-T, to 38470, you can get this ebook I wrote about what does it look like to, to have grit. Um, so the first thing I'd say is acknowledge that fear is going to come. Hmm. Um, and that's, that's not failure. I think sometimes we think being afraid is failure mm-hmm. or the arrival of fear is failure, but it's not. Being afraid isn't failure. Staying afraid is failure. Hmm. So just acknowledging, okay, it's gonna like it's gonna be difficult. That's a, yeah. that's okay, um, and not trying to go it alone. Mm-hmm. Like you, we need people. Like we need safe people that are on the journey too. That can go. I see you. I know you. 
Um, we can work on this together. Um, so I, I think if I was a leader and I, I felt stuck right now, I think one of the thing, first things I'd do is, is try to really shore up on grace and kindness for where I was. Because mm. I think in stuck moments, shame gets really loud. Yes. And we think we have to do it perfectly. And we think, you know, it has to happen instantly. Yep. And we think it's too late. I mean, that's for me, mm. the voice of too late I just get this feeling when I'm afraid of it's the night before the big history papers due in mm-hmm. high school and it's 2 a.m. <laughs> and I'm scrambling. I didn't do anything. The mm-hmm. library's closed. The internet's down. I'm, you know, or I'm in the computer lab at college and I, you know, I'm struggling. Yeah. And I feel it's, it's all too late. That never goes away, does it? Yeah. And so just admitting that and going, Wow, I've got that right now. Mm. Um, for me, the other thing is is writing it down and writing mm. down. You know, and I, I also like to kind of make fun of fear, um, yeah. in the sense of like telling the truth and exaggerating it in the light. You know, yeah. so that's for me to say, I'm learning the joy of writing about that and sharing mm. that on my blog and going. So right now, um, I don't know if you knew, but every blog is written about me, like which is weird. You know, like all like. They're all a commentary on my life, you know. Like yeah. that's not true, you know. And <laughs> or I, I just wrote this thing about um, it's October or whatever month you're going to play this in. But yeah. I, I wrote something in at the end of September and said you still have a lot of year left. You have mm-hmm. seventy five. You have you've done seventy five percent, but you still have twenty five percent left to do the thing you wanted to do. Yeah. And if your kid came home or if you came home with a seventy five on a on a paper and told your parents it's almost a hundred. You, they would be like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> so but what fears tells you is, yeah. okay, the year's already over. Like, scrap it. Like, let's just focus on January. Like, right. there's nothing that can be done. Like, no, I have 25% left, you know, right. or I have X amount of time left. So I'd say that later. It's not too late. Yeah. Um, I don't care what age you are. There's a lot of time left. Right. right. Which is why I mean, I've heard you say this retirement's a false concept. And as a yeah. guy pushing 50, 100% agree. Yeah, and you wouldn't even like it anyway. Like, I no, wouldn't, I, wouldn't. I don't, I like to do things that I'm passionate about. I love, yeah. when I get car service from airports at, at, at gigs, it's inevitably a 62-year-old guy or 63-year-old guy that goes, yeah, I tried, this happened the other day in Orlando. He said, I tried to be retired for a year. It was miserable. He said, I just yeah. sat there and watched TV for a, for a year. He said, like, it wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for my marriage. <laughs> and he said, I like to drive. I like to meet people. So am I, am I trying to build an empire? No, but I enjoy working and I yep. enjoy, you know, having my, you know, my gift used that way. And so that's what I'd say to the, to that that's leader. Great. I'd say, um, yeah, check out the grit decision thing. It's yeah, just that number one more time. Three eight four seven zero. Okay. So, so just the word grit, G R I T, to three eight four seven zero, and it's just this idea about how do you make difficult decisions that require grit. And your difficult decision might be admitting that you're the cause of the bad jobs, and right. you want to fix that. You know, a grit wow. decision might be realizing you need to hustle on your attitude, not just your abilities. Hmm. You know, I think a lot of times we we spend time on our abilities and we miss that attitude is a gigantic part of it. People don't like to work with people that have bad attitudes. That's not rocket science. It's true. I mean, that's not rocket science. That's just life. Yeah. John, best way to get in touch with you. Yeah. um, Twitter is just John Acuff, J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F. And then my blog is acuff.me. Um, and those are really the two best ways. And then you can Uh, pre-order, uh, do over on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, and everything else right now. So it'll come out next April and I'm excited about it. I appreciate the opportunity to come in and talk a little. Hey, thanks so much, John. 
Thanks, Gary. Man, isn't that fun? I mean, I so appreciated John's honesty and transparency. I mean, how often do you really hear a leader say, you know what, I struggle with narcissism or I'm insecure. I mean, man, those are great conversations. So uh, John, thank you so much for that. That was great. I really hope that it helped you in terms of um, work as well. I mean, maybe you're just in a place where you really don't like your job and, and you're trying to figure out what to do next. Um, hey, if you want more on this interview, just head on over to the show notes. Go to kerryneuhoff.com episode nine. All the links we talked about in the episode are in the show notes, as well as some practical takeaways and some quotes from John that you can tweet or share on social media. And now onto the contest. I'm so excited about this because we're going to give away some really cool things. Um, we are doing weekly prizes and then a grand prize. So this week, it is actually kind of a bonus week. Two books, my book, Leading Change Without Losing It, and John's book, Stuff Christians Like. And they're both signed copies. We will ship them out to you. And to enter, all you need to do is leave a comment on this episode on the blog. So head on over to the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode nine, and leave a comment. Now, the question you need to answer this week to win one of those two books is simply this. What is one factor that has positively changed your attitude toward work? That's it. One factor that's positively changed your attitude toward work. Leave a comment. Tell us about it. That's your ballot. You uh, stand a very good chance of winning um, those books, and we are going to draw for that next Monday. Now, your comment this week also enters you into the grand prize, which we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks, and the grand prize is for um, free admission to the Orange Conference 2015 in April in Atlanta next year. That is, if you've never been unbelievable. I mean, we have so much fun there. I'm speaking there next year. So is Andy Stanley, Donald Miller, uh, Reggie Joyner, John Acuff is going to be there. And if you win the grand prize, your ticket is the only ticket that not only gets you in for free, also gets you coffee backstage with John and me. So um, it's kind of like being in on this podcast, except you're there and you can ask all the questions. So it'll be a lot of fun. John and I are really looking forward to that. So again, just leave a comment at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode nine. Answer the question, what is one factor that has positively changed your attitude toward work. That's your ballot for the books and your ballot for the grand prize. So uh, we're going to be drawing for that in a couple of weeks. And before you go, just thanks so much. Thanks for being so awesome. Um, for all of you who have left ratings and reviews on iTunes, thank you. Please keep them coming if you haven't. It really helps new people discover this podcast. Um, and speaking of making sure you don't miss any episodes, just subscribe. You can do it for free on iTunes, also on Stitcher Radio and on TuneIn radio. We would just love to have you subscribe there and also leave rating and reviews there. And uh, we're going to continue the dialogue midweek at kerryneuhoff.com. So jump on over to that. Next week, we are going to be talking with Ron Edmondson. Ron is also a blogger. A lot of you probably already read his blog. If not, you should. He has an incredible story about taking over a church uh, as the senior pastor a couple years ago. They have seen explosive growth. He's going to talk all about that. A couple weeks from now, we got Pete Wilson from Crosspoint Church on. It's going to be a lot of fun. So so can't wait for that. In the meantime, don't forget to go back in the archives. And uh, we've already got interviews that you can access anytime with Andy Stanley, Casey Graham, Kara Powell, Tony Morgan, Craig Jutilla, so many more. Uh, Perry Noble. Did I not mention Perry? Perry's interview episode two is fantastic. Um, so it's, it's going to be great. So anyway, can't wait to catch up next week. Really do hope this has helped you lead like never before. Oh, and don't forget the contest. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth 
to help you lead like never before.